Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is, what is compelled speech and why does it matter? We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation, and I'm joined today by our resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. With these IPI Policy Basics podcasts, we are building an audio library on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy from a constitutional free market standpoint, or for those who need to get up to speed on a particular issue. And so today we want to talk about the concept of compelled speech. Now that may seem boring, but it's actually quite related and quite relevant to a lot of sort of political debates that are going on today. And so today, Dr. Matthews and I are going to discuss compelled speech. So, mm-hmm. so Dr. Matthews, uh, if you ask people about the First Amendment, uh, almost everybody would say something like, well, that's freedom of speech and freedom of religion. And that's correct, right? Uh, but there's more to freedom of speech than just freedom of speech, right? Because what it's like what kinds of speech does the First Amendment protect? And we understand that it primarily protects political speech. And the whole idea of the First Amendment was to say that the government cannot stop you from political speech. And over time, the courts have found have decided to define speech very broadly. So they now include as political speech things like campaign contributions mm-hmm. and donations to organizations. And flag burning, too, isn't it? Well, that's exactly right. In fact, we're going to talk about flag burning in a second, because that's one of the sort of key cases in, on this topic of compelled speech. But sort of trying to stay more at the 30,000-foot level, people primarily, primarily think about the First Amendment as the government can't stop you from speaking. But highlight that point about the government because people increasingly sort of think nobody can stop you from right. speaking. Which, which is not true. We, we, in fact, we did a Policy Basics podcast on this very topic about how our rights are not absolute. And we talked about how you can't just start giving your hot political speech in the aisle at Walmart because they also have property rights. And, and the purpose of the First Amendment is that government can't stop you from speaking but you can't force private sector companies to let you speak, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, a, a you, we may have religious liberty, but a priest can't set up an altar in the middle of a Walmart shopping center and start offering mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a Santeria priest can't start butchering and sacrificing animals in the park downtown, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's primarily thought of as... The government can't stop you from acting, but of course, there's always limits to that. But the flip side of that is not only can the government not stop you from your political speech, the government also cannot force you or compel you to engage in political speech. And that's that's sort of the flip side and the underappreciated part of the First Amendment that we want to focus on today. Uh, this is why, for instance, when people have said things like there ought to be a law that everybody has to vote, mm-hmm. you know, we, we want everybody to vote. We, our country and our democracy would be better and healthier if everybody voted. So let's pass a law that requires people to vote. Well, you can't do that in the United States because the First Amendment also prevents the government from compelling you to engage in political activity. They can't make you vote. And the first, the first Amendment prevents the government from compelling private publications, for instance, from running things. So the government can't say to the New York Times, you must run this op-ed. You know, a congressman can't say, I insist that you run my op-ed. 
mm-hmm. because the First Amendment doesn't just protect us against the government stopping us from speaking. It also protects us against the government forcing us to speak. Now, the reason this is so important is that when we start getting into some of these current political debates, like, for instance, social media content moderation and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, we've had several states pass bills that say things like social media companies cannot engage in viewpoint discrimination in their content moderation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, essentially what you're doing when you pass a law like that is you are compelling social media platforms to host speech that they don't want to host. And this, of course, it sort of pops up here recently because I think Facebook just recently uh, revealed they are, wasn't it Facebook that they're taking down uh, posts or maybe it's YouTube. They're taking down posts that they feel like are just spreading false information about vaccines. Specifically about vaccines. Yes, right. exactly. Right. And and we have to remind people that, you know, whether you agree with a policy like that or not, and frankly, I don't, but whether you agree with a policy like that or not, YouTube is a private actor. And these social media platforms are private actors. And so it is not when we say, for instance, that a priest can't start offering mass in an aisle at Walmart, that's not unlike saying, you know, in other words, what we're saying is government can't force Walmart to host that activity, mm-hmm. right? And so it's really the same with YouTube or with social media platforms. Um, they have the right as a private actor, a government can't force them to host speech or activity, religious activities that they don't want to host. And so the great danger here is when people, and it tends to be conservatives, when people start saying, well, the government ought to be able to force these social media platforms to be neutral, right? You have just stepped squarely in the compelled speech issue. What you really are saying is the government ought to be able to, ought to, be able to require private interests to host speech that they don't want to host. Now, when you say host speech, does it mean, does it also include people who are being required to make or do things, for instance, the baker that has been, that's been uh, the Colorado baker who's been brought up several times. Yeah, I think this is really important. And and as a start to answering your question, I want to read the definition of compelled speech from a legal dictionary. Okay. okay? It says, the compelled speech doctrine sets out the principle that the government cannot force an individual or group to support certain types of expression. So the word there is support. So it's not limited to what an individual Mm. says, okay? It extends. It's not just a matter of what Facebook says on their website. It's also a matter of what Facebook supports on their website. So as a private actor, you have wide latitude to allow or to forbid whatever kind of political speech you choose to allow or forbid. It's not unlike... You know, you go into a restaurant and it says no shirts, no shirt, no shoes, no service, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot different than saying no blacks, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I mean, if you say no blacks or no Jews, that's clearly a civil rights violation. But other than a civil rights violation, private actors have the right to set the terms of under which they engage with their customers. And social media platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, these sorts of things— they have the right to set the terms of what kind of speech they will allow on their platforms and what kind they won't. And again, the key word there I want to go to is this idea of supporting. 
you're not required to support expression that you don't want to support. Now, you brought up what I think is the slam dunk comparison for conservatives, and that is literally the case of Jack Phillips, the Christian baker in Colorado, Mm -hmm. who says, I will sell a cake to anyone, regardless of their views, but I will not write words on a cake in celebration of something that is a violation of my principles. And specifically, it was that if you are a same-sex couple getting married, he'll sell you a cake but he won't put whatever message on the cake you want, Mm -hmm. okay? And that actually was the precisely drawn line because to refuse to sell them a cake at all is, in fact, a violation of equal access, which is a long-held legal principle. But the reason that Jack Phillips has a constitutional right to not put whatever message on the cake that the customer demands is that he has the First Amendment protection against compelled speech. So to put it very starkly and bluntly, the cake is Jack Phillips's platform, and their website is Facebook's platform, and their website is YouTube's platform. And so to our conservative brethren who want to see social media speech regulated by the government and want to see viewpoint discrimination done away with, my warning to them is this. If the government can force Facebook to carry speech it doesn't want to carry, then it can force Jack Phillips to carry speech that he doesn't want to carry. It is literally the same thing. Now, I think that the peak of the bell curve of this this conversation is the comparison of Jack Phillips to Mm -hmm. social media platforms. And to make that point that if the government can compel speech of social media, they can compel speech of Jack Phillips. So let's turn it around. If the, because Jack Phillips has been going through court cases, it comes, it goes Mm -hmm. up to the Supreme Court. They send it back to Colorado for, to, to look at some things. Right. But if the Supreme Court ultimately rules that the government can compel Jack Phillips to do that, does that then go on, carry on to social media platforms? So this is, well, I I think logically, yes, from a precedent standpoint, but I also think that it's, it's extremely unlikely that the Supreme Court will find that because the, the legal doctrine of compelled speech is a well-established doctrine, and it goes all the way back. There was a case in 1943 called West Virginia Board of Education versus Barnett, and this was the case where the Supreme Court found that a state cannot force children to recite the, declara- the Pledge of Allegiance, mm-hmm. right? You, 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 a school cannot force children to stand, put their hand over their heart, or recite the Pledge of Allegiance. That's compelled speech. That's what the courts found. Okay, And it goes back to the thing about flag burning, that if you were to have a law against flag burning, you are banning political speech. You know, and if you were to require flag burning, (laughs) that would be compelling political speech. Right. So these are really key principles. And that you you as as if you really do want to be a constitutional conservative, you have to understand that there are times where sticking to principle and sticking to constitutional protections are going to result in results that are not the results you prefer. Mm -hmm. I don't like seeing people burn American flags. I don't want to see a student sitting and folding his arms and sticking his bottom lip out while everybody else is reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. But those are key First Amendment protections against government-compelled speech. And so if you're a conservative, if you find yourself thinking the government ought to be able to compel these social media platforms to host speech they don't like, that is an extremely dangerous road 
for us to be going down. And the next thing you know, government is going to be able to compel churches, what they are or are not allowed to preach about. Mm -hmm. And if that sounds ridiculous, that's the end of the slippery slope. If the government can compel speech of private actors, if the government can say, you, you must say this or you must not say that, that is where you end up. You end up with with preachers having to get up in pulpits on Sunday and saying, and now a mandatory PSA from the federal government. Mm. And we don't want to start down that slippery slope. So for these states like Texas and Florida who have passed laws, essentially where the government compels speech neutrality from social media platforms, this is the reason those laws are going to be tossed out. It's the reason those efforts are not going to be to succeed. And if you're a constitutional conservative, you should be glad that those efforts are not going to concede, not are not going to succeed, not because you like the result, but because the principle is crucial. You do not want the government to be able to compel speech of private actors. Well, you can find out a lot more about the First Amendment, about social media regulation, and about internet regulation at our website at ipi.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would appreciate a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform. You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us. We welcome your feedback, and we'll see you next time.